Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. What's up, everybody? Great to see you all this weekend. I want to welcome all of our campuses, uh, those of you that might be joining us online as well. Man, I'm so grateful we get to do this together. And my name is Mike Bro. in case we've never met before, and I get to be on the uh, teaching team at this incredible place, and so stoked to be with you guys uh, th- this weekend. Hey, we're, we're in this little series where we are uh, looking at a less-than-perfect church uh, through a letter called 1 Corinthians. And it's found in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then Acts, Romans, then this letter, 1 Corinthians. So if you've got a Bible or you've got an app that you use, you can turn to that now. We're going to put it on the screens as well so we can all track along together. But this letter uh, was written to this less-than-perfect church by this less-than-perfect leader. It was a guy named Paul. Now, Paul was a dynamic guy. He was a huge difference maker. Uh, radically transformed by the grace of God. But all through the New Testament, this guy chronicles his past, his struggles, his failures, his weakness, gets very, very honest and vulnerable about them all. Even at one point, he calls himself the chief of all sinners. So what we have here is what we've been calling a jacked-up church, receiving this letter from a jacked-up leader, which leads me to ask, are there really any other kind? It's why we often say around here, no perfect people allowed. So if you think you're perfect, you can stay because you're more jacked up than the rest of us. Just stay. (laughs) Welcome to Lake Point. Now, don't get me wrong. There ought to be this fresh authenticity about all of us. And we're going to talk more about that next week. And things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, those things ought to be growing in all of us. But did you know that God has always used imperfect churches? God has always used imperfect people. I mean, just think of all the deeply flawed people that God has used throughout history. Noah got drunk. Moses got angry and killed a guy. David had an affair. Abraham lied. Solomon did everything under the sun. Jonah ran from God. Elijah was a burned-out whiner. Jeremiah was depressed. Timothy had ulcer. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was insecure. Martha worried too much. Peter bragged too much. James had a short fuse. John the Baptist just flat out weird. (laughs) And you might as well throw me and you and Pastor Josh and Pastor Steve and all the Lake Point campus pastors, the whole Lake Point team in with that whole crew of imperfect people because we all stand in need of God's grace, especially this imperfect man. So I'd like to take us a little different direction today. Instead of focusing on the childish immaturity of this very imperfect church, 
Today, I'd like to focus on the growing maturity of the imperfect guy who wrote this letter to them. Because there's something I've been noticing about Paul. Like over and over, he does acknowledge his flaws and his fears, his weaknesses and his imperfections. But through it all, or maybe better stated, because of it all, he seems to possess a character trait that I've always admired in people. Something I've always wanted in my life. So what I want to do is work through some of what he writes in chapter 3 and 4 of this letter to the Corinthians, but I want to do it within the context of this one word, grit. Grit. I love grit. Anybody else love grit? I love grit. I love getting my hands dirty. When I was in Little League as a kid, I was sliding to second base even when I didn't need to because I just wanted to get dirty, you know. I've told you before how I love to remodel houses and stuff, and I love to sweat. And when I, when I end the day covered in sawdust, it has been a good day. You've heard of Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe, right? You've heard of that? Dirtier Jobs with Mike Bro. That's what I'm talking about. And I think, I think my initial love for grit came from my eighth grade shop class. Anybody else take shop in middle school, industrial arts? You know what I'm talking about? Our shop teacher, he looked like he rode in from the set of like the Tombstone movie. And he was one of the bad guys. He looked like he might have had a rough life, had an outdoor face, these steely blue eyes, and this very unique uh, Kentucky accent. And he showed us all how to use the tools like the lathe and the planer and the drill press and how to miter corners and all that kind of stuff. But I'll never forget what I would just call the sandpaper talk. He stood up and he goes, now boys, this right here is your 220 grit. This is what you use once you put your varnish on your project that gets all those little bubbles out of it. Use your 220 grit. This is your 150 grit. This is what you use before you use your 220 grit. You get it ready to put your varnish on your project. This is your 120 grit. You use your 120 grit before you use your 150 grit. Then he picked this one up. But boys, this is your 60 grit right here. This will plow through the tough stuff. And as I think back, I guess what I've always really wanted in my life is I just want to become a 60 grit kind of guy. I'm talking about the kind of man that can plow through the tough stuff. A leader who maybe can make life smoother for other people in his life. The kind of guy, imperfect as he is, who just chases after God. The kind of man that won't give up easily and along the way just tries to make an eternal difference with his life. Gang, that's true grit. And Paul possessed it big time. Let me give you a little formula that's, that might help you the way it's kind of helped me. The formula is this, G plus R equals IT. Now, you've noticed it uses the letters of grit, and you're going, wow, bro, you are a communication genius. How'd you come up with that? I need pictures in books. I need simple things to help me understand. So this might help you remember, G plus R equals IT. Now, what I want to do, and no other teachers will do this for you, I want to give you the answer. I want to give you the equation side uh, of this. Uh, I want to give you the, the, the answer side of the equation first. G plus R equals internal toughness. If you want to develop true grit, I'm not talking about a ripped and rugged tough guy image. I'm not talking about a strong, independent woman external kind of image. I'm talking about real toughness, toughness from the inside out. I'm talking about deep character. If you want to become a 60 grit kind of man, 
If you want to become a 60-grit kind of woman, here's how you get it. The G in our equation stands for grace. It all begins with a firm grasp of the grace of God for your life, the relentless, radical, unfailing love of God for you. That's where, that's where it all starts. That's the stuff of 60-grit people. Now, this guy, Paul, who wrote this letter that we've been walking through, he was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, externally tough guy. I mean, big, bad, don't mess with me kind of dude. Then he encountered the grace of Jesus Christ and was changed from the inside out. And he goes on to become the primary spokesperson for the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. And man, would he ever need a measure of internal toughness. He writes in his second letter to this same church about how he was ridiculed, beat up, stoned, flogged, whipped, shipwrecked, falsely accused, lost everything for the sake of Christ, went hungry, got cold, got sick, spent considerable jail time, you name it. I mean, all the stuff he went through flies in the face of all that prosperity gospel teaching. And I want you to look what he writes at the end of chapter 4 in 1 Corinthians. He says, I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. Now, this image he uses from the Roman Colosseum world, where defeated captives were condemned to die in the arena for show. You might remember in the movie Gladiator how the condemned men would say to the royals, we who are about to die salute you. Now, Paul doesn't claim like royal status as an apostle. He equates himself with those guys, and he goes on to say, we, we become... We become like a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. And the word used there for spectacle is the word from which we get our word theater. So Paul's saying, listen, we are put on a stage in a show that nobody wants to buy a ticket to. We are often beaten and we have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We're patient with those who abuse us. We, we appeal gently when evil things are said about us. Yet we are treated like the world's garbage like everybody's trash, right up to the present moment. Now listen, Paul is not complaining here. He's just stating the reality of his calling in his life. And he's letting this way too comfortable church know that following Jesus is not always easy. It takes some grit. I like the way Greg LeVay puts it. He says, Jesus promised those who would follow him only three things, that they would be absurdly happy, entirely fearless, and always in trouble. And that's, all, that's why we need grit. There's another time that Paul was writing about how he would pray to God about some, some particular thing, some painful stuff he was struggling with. And he wrote about how God would always come back with the same answer. He said, each time God would say to me, Paul, my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So God says, listen, you want to develop internal toughness? My grace is all you need. Paul writes this over in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, God saved you by his what? By his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a what? Gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. And gang, I'm telling you, when you know this, when you internalize this, 
when you know that you, you are deeply loved in spite of your flaws and imperfections, in spite of the failures in your life, when you know that it's his grace and not his judgment that defines you, when you know you are treasured by your creator, when you know that you have been chosen and forgiven and set apart and given enormous potential and deeply loved, man, it changes everything about your life. Let me, let me tell you about a 60-grit guy. He's one of my best friends in the world. His name is Gordon. And on the surface, you would never think, now there's a gritty guy. He's never fished for like crabs in the northern Atlantic. He's never had his hands around a jackhammer. Instead of looking like he just rode in from a long cattle drive, it looks like he got out of a golf cart at Augusta National. He's really, really preppy. He's a neat freak. He's OCD with his clothes and his car. He loves, absolutely loves to shop. Can't fix anything in his entire house. His favorite movie, The Notebook. That's his favorite movie. His second favorite movie is A Walk to Remember. He's even got the Mandy Moore soundtrack. It's unbelievable. He bought two cigars on vacation to celebrate Debbie and I's anniversary. He got so sick smoking it, he couldn't get out of bed the next day. He's a good athlete, but apart from his athletic ability, there's nothing on the surface about him that will make you say, now there's a gritty guy. But I know very few people that have the internal toughness is Gordon. I mean, the only reason I'm able to say these things about him, he doesn't care. He's just so secure in who he is. And that's amazing considering when he was a kid, his dad took off and had an affair. His mom was an alcoholic, the raging kind, so he lived with different friends all the way through middle school and high school, just passed around from house to house. But he refused to do what a lot of people do, refused to play the victim. And years ago, he discovered God's grace for his life. And this guy puts himself in a position every single day to drink from the well of God's overflowing love for him. He knows he has a heavenly father that is crazy about him. And as a result, this guy is an amazing guy, one of the toughest guys I've ever met. High character, great leader, strong resolve to do the right thing, not afraid to make a tough call, not afraid to have a hard conversation, but constantly encouraging other people. He serves the poor, stands up for the underdog. He loves his wife. He loves his kids. He loves now his grandkids and the notebook. <laughs> but he's become a 60-grit kind of guy. And he would tell you like Paul would tell you, that it began when he began to embrace the grace of God for his life. When he did that, it changed everything about him. I see a whole lot of men especially who are chasing after something that they already are, which is accepted. I mean, I don't know. You know, you know, maybe they never lived up to the expectations of their dad or their mom. They're always chasing this elusive attaboy all their life, trying to, trying to rack up stats that will get them noticed, still running full speed after approval and significance and acceptance because they, they just don't know who they are. And I love how a firm grasp of God's grace, Paul said, I know who I am. We, we touched on this a little bit last week, how there were these factions developing in this jacked-up church that Paul was writing to. They were playing this, uh, who's your favorite pastor game? I love Apollos. The way he speaks really connects with me. Well, I like Paul better because, man, he just says it like it is. Well, I prefer Peter because he's the only one who actually walked with Jesus for three years. And on and on and on, it went. people are getting in different camps. So Paul, so secure in who he was, so secure in his identity, speaks into this. He says, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work God gave us. I, I planted the seeds in your heart. Apollos watered it. But gang, it was God who made it grow. 
And then he says this in verse 21, so don't boast about following a particular human leader. For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Paulus or Peter or the world or life or death or the present or the future, everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. He's saying, why would you say I belong to Paul, I belong to Peter, I belong to Apollos when you belong to Jesus? Because you can't get any better than that. We're all just imperfect servants of Jesus Christ. It's all about his grace and his perfection and his unfailing love and his goodness and his greatness and his transforming power. We all belong to God. And then he adds this, and that's why I just play my life to an audience of one. Check this out in chapter 4, verse 1. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. Here's a guy saying, I'm not trying to get likes and retweets. I'm not trying to amass followers. I'm not trying to climb into popularity polls. I I have no interest in celebrity status. And he says, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. Now, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't even prove I'm right because it's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. I just love this. He goes, I'm not after a four-chair turn on the voice. I just want one chair to turn. That's it. His approval is all that counts in my life. In another letter, he writes this. He says, our purpose is to please God. Our purpose is to please God, not people, because he's the one who examines the motives of our heart. I want every student to hear me right now, every kid to hear me right now. There is such freedom in not playing your life to the crowd. When you know that you are accepted by the one who matters most, you no longer have this need to chase after approval and strive for acceptance anymore because his grace is enough. He defines who you are. There's there's a little obscure passage over in John 21 that has had a staggering effect on my life. It's kind of an obscure verse. It simply says this, And Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. You go, wow, that's really profound, bro. Well, it is. Let me explain. Who was the disciple? Anybody know the, the name of the disciple whom Jesus loved, you know, who, who he was? John. Who wrote John 21? John. He didn't attach a title. He didn't attach a resume. He didn't pad his social media profile with all these stats. He goes, I'm just a guy Jesus loved. That's my real ID. That's who I am. And I have to ask myself, bro, who are you? You know what? I am not I'm not the teaching pastor at Lake Point. I'm not an author. I'm not a coach. I'm not even Debbie Bro's husband or Jody Derrick and Drew's dad or my grandkid's papa. You know who I am? I'm just a guy Jesus loves. That's who I am. That's my real ID. And everything in my life flows out of that foundational truth. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes insecurity still tries to rear its ugly head in me. But now I have that truth to push it back. Listen to me. Your past does not define you. Your, law, your flaws, your imperfections do not define you. What the culture says about you does not define you. Your success does not define you. Your social media profile or number of followers does not define you. Your desires or your attractions 
do not define you. Your paycheck, position, title, or talent does not define you. Your looks, your GPA, your RBI totals, your bench press reps, or decorating skills, none of that defines who you are. You are simply a guy or a gal that Jesus loves. You are a person with God-given potential for greatness. You are a treasure child of the Most High God, saved by His grace, created in His image to live for His purposes. Let that be enough for you. Let it be enough for you. My daughter Jody, man, you talk about a 60-grit kind of girl. Uh, it wasn't always that way. Um, she's an amazing girl. I'm so, so proud of Jody. She's, a, she's an awesome teacher of God's Word and just a great mom and just a great wife and great friend. She's an incredible person. But in high school, she struggled with this whole identity thing. And she tried to fit in to certain crowds, and as a result, she went down some pretty dark roads. And God got a hold of her life and, and uh, changed her with his love. And it's been really cool to watch. So she, she writes a lot of these spoken word pieces, and this is one of my favorite ones she ever wrote because it came on the heels of her transformation. She writes, I have wanted to be in, to be in the in crowd, in the loop, in the know, among the proud, not left out, but to be allowed to be in. I have wanted to be in. Wear clothes that are in style, trendsetter and versatile, just the right cut and the perfect smile. I have wanted to be in. To be looked at as someone who has much, all the in music right at my touch on the latest and greatest stuff and such. I have wanted to be in. But I have felt aggravated, frustrated, unappreciated, slated as someone who is underrated. Unimportant, unknown, unseen, average, mediocre, routine, beneath, below, beyond a chance, inconsequential, insignificant. But Jesus, like people like me, took notice of a blind man and made him see, saw a locked up kid and set him free, told little Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. Felt that when a desperate woman touched his cloak, knelt beside a dead girl, and up she woke, hung out with the down and out and broke, offered hope to the forgotten with just the words that he spoke. Touched a man with leprosy who others would mock. Touched the mouths of the mutant at once they could talk. Forgave a woman at a well who was a laughing stock. Came to lowly shepherds who smelled like their flock. In the company of sinners is where he would eat. Defend an adulterer, maker accusers, retreat, made followers out of men who were crooked cheats, let the tears of a prostitute anoint his feet, and suddenly, dramatically, miraculously, undeniably, they were in, in his story. In his truth, in his grace, in his purpose, in his eyes, someone great, and I have wanted to be in and since the day I met with him, he took all that I had been, all my fear, my shame, my sin, and changed my life by letting me in. Our God is greater than the past that drowned me, stronger than the chains that bound me, higher than the shame that, that found me. There is no one like him, none like him. Isn't that good? So you want to be in? You want to be in? You want to develop an internal toughness? Want to be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God? Want some true grit in your life? Paul says it starts with embracing God's grace. It starts with embracing God's grace. So the formula looks like this. Grace plus R 
equals internal toughness. Now let me give you the R in the equation. The R stands for reliance. Reliance. To feel inadequate is one thing. To admit that you are is quite another. And I've been learning that there is power in powerlessness. Let's, let's go back to how Paul starts this letter. Josh touched on this a couple of weeks ago. He writes in chapter 2, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use like lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I just love this. Now, the truth is, Paul was an intellectual. And he was very skilled in teaching and debate. And he could have. He could have used words and impressive oratory skills. But he didn't want to fall back pridefully on what he used to rely on in his old life. He, he didn't want to do what the old him w- would do. Instead, he says this, I, I just came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so you would trust, not in imperfect human wisdom, but in, perfect, in the perfect power of God. You see the combination of grace and reliance here? He said, I just wanted to focus on the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and his cross, and I just want to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. You put those two things together, man, that's internal toughness. I don't know who originally said it, but I've had it in the margin of my Bible for a long time, and I know I've shared it here before, but we learn through repetitions. So let me show it to you again. The greatness of a person is in direct proportion to the measure of their surrender. The greatness of a man, the greatness of a woman is in direct proportion to the measure of their surrender. You just come to God every day. Say, God, again, I re-surrender today. I need your help again today. I need your help to become a good man. I need your help to become a good woman, a good, good husband, a good wife, a good mom, a good dad, a good friend. God, I can't break this habit on my own. I need your power. I rely on you for every step of my day today. There's a scripture verse you'll sometimes see athletes write on their shoes or maybe under their eyes if they play football. Some even get tattoos somewhere on their body. It's Philippians 4.13. And once again, it's what that 60-grit guy, Paul, he wrote these words. He says this, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's the secret of my 60-grit life. That's the secret of my internal toughness. There is power in powerlessness. Paul says, I used to think I was this big and bad, powerful guy, but I gave up that charade. I now rely on the power of the one who came back from the dead. And I know that he's not only with me, God's spirit is in me. So I just lean into him every day. And as a result, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This 60-grit guy rested in God's grace, saw himself as a much-loved child of God, and that freed him up to lean into and tap into the power of God every day of his life. And when we get to meet Paul in heaven someday... It's going to be kind of cool. I'll probably walk over to him and say, sir, I, whew, I'm such a fan. Uh, I just want to tell you, man, how much I appreciate your stamina, your strength, your vision, your wisdom, your passion, your perseverance, your toughness, your grit. And he'll respond, oh, 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 no, 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 no. That was all him because I'm not strong. It was all his strength. He, he poured that into me. I had to, I had to learn internal toughness by, that, that it comes through weakness. I had, to, I had to learn about his grace. I had to learn about relying on his. Oh, there, there's power in powerlessness. Since we're doing mathematical equations today, can I give you one more? Here we go. Self-reliance plus self-deception equals self-destruction. Self-reliance plus self-deception equals self-destruction. When you go through life saying, 
trying, you're trying to protect this tough guy's self-sufficient image, saying, I got this. I can handle this on my own. I don't need help. I don't need anybody else in my life. You're just lying to yourself. And this equation will always play out. Self, self-reliance plus self-deception always equals self-destruction. Again, check out what Paul wrote in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1. He says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Then he says, this is the same, the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul's saying, if God can blow the rock off a tomb and give life back to a dead man, you can run out of that grave too. The same power is available to all of us. So why would we go through life choosing to do it in our own strength? Why wouldn't we drop our pride? Why wouldn't we put our ego on the shelf and say, help me, God? I want to rely on your higher, better, death-defying power in my life. I need your unlimited strength and your incredible wisdom and your amazing grace surging through my veins because the greatness of a man, the greatness of a woman is in direct proportion to the measure of their surrender to a higher power. My buddy Keith, I've talked about him before, shared his video testimony a couple years ago. But man, you talk about a guy becoming a 60-grit kind of man. And it's remarkable. I mean, God has had him on the wheel, and he's just got his hands around him, shaping him and molding him and chiseling him and sanding him. He's becoming more and more and more like Jesus every day. He's one of my best friends in the world, and I'm really, really proud of him. Uh, some of you might remember a little bit of his story. At one point in his life, he was the second largest porn distributor in the United States. Came from an unbelievably dysfunctional childhood into every kind of addiction you could imagine. Spent jail time, homelessness. He has uh, he gave his life to Christ a while back, and uh, he's been clean and sober for over eight years now, and he helps so many guys. He goes to an AA meeting every day of the week because he wants to take somebody with him. He has a row of guys sitting with him in church every single weekend. Here's a guy who used to have thousands of porn images on his phone. He deleted all of them, and now he has thousands of scriptures on his phone. I mean, God has just transformed this guy, and he's becoming a 60-grit kind of man. Well, I was talking to him a while, a while back, and he was building a house, and he had a construction crew in there, and he calls me up. He goes, bro, have you ever heard of this spirit animal thing? I went, I've heard a little bit about it. And he goes, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm down there at the house checking it out. And there's these construction guys. They're all talking about this spirit animal test that you can take. And they were talking about how they took the test. And one guy said, yeah, man, I was a, I was a panther. Another guy said, well, I was a grizzly bear. Another guy said, I was a lion. And they turned to me and said, have you ever done it? He goes, I've never done it. Only what you're talking about. He goes, you ought to go home and take the test and tell us what, what you are. Keith, when I went home and took the test, man, I'm a butterfly. How am I going to go back tomorrow and tell those guys that, yeah, I'm a, I'm a butterfly? <laughs> and then we, we, we both cracked up. And he goes, but you know what? That's what I am. I can tell them I used to be this brown caterpillar crawling around the dirt. And once I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, this miracle of metamorphosis happened. And he changed me into this high-flying butterfly. And he's changing me too. Because there is power in powerlessness. So here's the formula. Grace plus reliance equals internal toughness. 
So what do you say we embrace this? And we find our security in his grace. And we let our identity be found in his unfailing love. And every day we just humbly surrender to him, relying on his power throughout the day, and let him turn us into 60-grit men, 60-grit women. Not perfect people, but the kind that can plow through the tough stuff with gratitude and humility and joy. Let's pray together. Father, so grateful for the example of Paul who not one time claims to be perfect because there are no perfect leaders, there are no perfect churches, there are no perfect people, only one, and his name is Jesus. And I thank you for the way your perfection translates to us, uh, even in our dysfunction, in our failures and our flaws. We are dressed in your righteousness. You change us from the inside out. And God, I, I pray that all of us would become 60-grit kind of men and women, that we would just know that who we are is a much-loved child of yours, that we're just a man, just a woman that Jesus loves, and let that be enough for us. And God, I pray that every day we roll out of bed and just re-surrender our lives. God, I need your power again today, God. I'm done doing this life in my own strength. I need your power surging through me today. God, I thank you that that's the stuff that grit is made from. And we want to be those kind of people. And God, I can't help but, because uh, it's been on my heart all week long, I know it's been on a lot of people's heart this week, I can't help but pray for the people of Ukraine right now and everyone you know, involved in that conflict that's happening. I pray for those believers who just need an extra dose of grit, that they would rely on your grace and your power and just know it's going to be okay, that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in their lives. Thank you that heaven is real, eternity is real, and this life is short. But God, I pray that you would give them that internal toughness, that resolve just to follow you, lean into your power, embrace your love. I even pray that maybe right now they would feel that there's a bunch of people on the other side of the world that's praying for them they would feel the supernatural peace just envelop them, that it's going to be okay. Father, I thank you for the way you do move into our lives and you transform us. And when we surrender to your, your miracle of metamorphosis, you do, you change us. There's a bunch of changed people in this place. And we're grateful for that. And so, Lord, I pray that you stamp all this on our heart today and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, Join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital.